Thanks for tuning in to Leesburg Daily, a Monday through Friday podcast where we dive into scripture, study it together, and apply it to our lives. Today we pick up in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 28. And today we only deal with three verses, 28 through 30. And in this, we are specifically talking about the death of Jesus. And so what I'd like to do today, as we prepare for Easter this week, I'd like to uh, read these three verses, talk about them, and then talk about uh, the cross specifically um, and what was accomplished on that cross. And so we start in verse 28, and it says, After this, and, and that is after Jesus has taken care of his mother by leaving her in the hands of John, um, as he's hanging on the cross, knowing, it says, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. Jesus is here now hanging on the cross, having completed by pouring into his disciples, the completed the, the work of building a disciple-making movement, um, but also now, um, the 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 end goal is 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 in sight. Having accomplished what he came to uh, what he came to do, in order to fulfill Scripture, John says, he says, "I am thirsty." Now, this could be an allusion uh, once again to Psalm twenty-two that he has already quoted several other times um, earlier. Uh, this. Psalm 22 is cited in relation to the soldiers dividing Jesus's clothing amongst 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 themselves. Um, This might be an allusion to that. In Psalm 22, uh, verse 15, it reads, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. This could be an allusion to that passage. He's already cited that, which he will also... Um, site in in the other gospels uh, as he cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me again though john is pointing out the fact that jesus was not taken off guard by this um, in fact this was happening in order to fulfill scripture everything was being a- a- accomplished according uh, to god's divine plan well, look how everyone responds. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on top of a branch of hyssop and brought it uh, up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour, the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, this sour wine, this sour wine that's present here, um, it it would have been cheap wine for the soldiers. It was probably diluted with water. Most likely, it was one of the soldiers who offered it to Jesus. Um, And and in fact, it was, it's in some ways, an unusually kind gesture here, um, suggesting that this soldier that offered it might have been the one who maybe even later confesses in, in the Gospel of Mark that, that this must have been the Son of God. The, the wine vinegar, the sour wine offered to Jesus in a sponge 
placed on a stalk of hyssop, John says. Now, the Roman crosses weren't nearly as tall as we have in our minds today, as are usually depicted. They're not that tall. Um, um, and the, a stalk of hyssop was fairly weak, and so it wouldn't need to be very long to accomplish the task of lifting up to his, uh, to his face. It, only John identifies this as hyssop. The other Gospels simply refer to it as a stick. Now, there might be some allusion to the hyssop uh, used to, you know, spread the, the blood on the doorposts of the lambs uh, for uh, uh, Passover. There, there might be an allusion there to this, um, connecting Jesus with the Passover lamb. Um, it is interesting to point, when we look at the scriptures, uh, the, the gospel accounts, the crucifixion scenes, and we kind of pair them up. We see that Jesus refused the wine mixed with myrrh, which would have been somewhat, it would have, uh, as Sammy referred to this past week, would have diluted the pain of the crucifixion. Uh, It it was offered to him in Mark 27 and and Matthew 15. Um, But now it appears in John that he accepts this this wine vinegar offered now. Um, And so when we pair these, 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 portrayals against each other. We see that, that, that Jesus was offered something to drink um, twice. This time, it seems, in, in the Gospel of John, he accepts that drink. And, and John writes, when, uh, Therefore, when he received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Earlier, when Jesus knew that his work had been completed, he said, uh, I'm thirsty, and now he says, I'm finished. Uh, it is finished, excuse me. Uh, to, to understand the significance of these words, we need to remember that in, in Matthew and Mark, the, the offer of wine vinegar followed Jesus' cry, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which signaled the fact that he was bearing in his own person the awful consequences of sin. Now, in the in John's gospel, this fourth gospel, having received the drink, Jesus says it's finished. He was referring not only to the work of uh, of revelation through the word and sign that he had done uh, his life, but also to the great work of of redemption, what Easter is really all about. And with that, then Jesus bows his head, and he gave up his spirit. Remember in John ten. Uh, Jesus insisted that no one would take his life from him, and then he would lay it down on his own accord. And here he did, he, he, he did just that. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He had finished the work that he came to do, and he had given his flesh, uh, in his flesh, really the, the life of the word, the sign of who he was as the good shepherd. And now the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He became the one man who died for the nation as uh, the Jewish uh, leaders prophesied. He was the seed that had fallen onto the ground and would now produce many seeds. He had shown the great love, the love like no other, when he laid down his life for his friends. Here in this in these three verses we see 
according from John's perspective from the foot of the cross and Jesus's end. But, but it leads to a question, what does Jesus accomplish in his death? How does this uh, death of Jesus make a difference for you and me today? This past weekend, we were encouraged through Sammy's message uh, to remember uh, or, or to place a, a term into our vocabulary, and that term was atonement. Atonement. Really, what we need to answer are two questions. First of all, why did Jesus die on the cross? And then secondly, what did his death accomplish exactly? Like, how does Jesus' death on the cross help us, benefit us? What does it accomplish in and of itself? Well, to answer that throughout the centuries, there have been several atonement theories that I would like to briefly walk through today and kind of look at the high points and the problems or the weaknesses with these atonement theories. And it might seem like a jumbled mess at first, but but bear with me as we think through this process of 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 considering atonement. See, it's my deep conviction that we rarely ask the right questions. If you went, I don't know, if you went uh, on a motorcycle ride and you're riding down 1842, and then the next thing you know, you wake up and you're at Central Baptist Hospital, uh, you're going to have a few questions. You're going to start and you say, well, what happened? Now, you wouldn't be content knowing, well, you were in a wreck and you were brought here by ambulance and now you're fine. You would ask more questions, more questions. Well, well, what happened? Did I hit someone or did someone hit me? Or did I slide on grass in the, on the asphalt? Or, or how did this accident happen? And then, and, and then what were the steps that happened during my rescue? You would want to know all of the details. Why is it then that we would want to know all of those details, but when it comes to Jesus' death on the cross, we're far too quick to just accept, well, Jesus died on the cross for me and move on without thinking about how his death makes a difference. So if you don't, if you don't mind, give me t- 10 minutes, 10 more minutes today as we run through some atonement theories. And the first one we, we want to talk about is the, the idea of recapture, um, recapitulation is the term that's used, recapitulation. Now, recapitulation is really the idea of a do-over of sorts. This is the earliest um, 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 theory of how Jesus uh, fixes our life. And this was really a, a response in the first couple centuries after, or generations after Jesus' death. Um, it was a response to docetism, which was the idea, the heresy that developed uh, a couple generations after Jesus's death, uh, that said that Jesus only appeared to be human. And they said, "Well, he only appears to be human, um, but he was really more God." He they emphasized the God portion of Jesus, and they minimized the. Uh, they said, "Well, he just appeared to be human." And so, um, a, as a result of that, this idea of the recapitulation theory. Uh, came to be. And the belief there is that Jesus lived the perfect life that Adam uh, could not live. Christ recapitulated 
all stages of, of human life. And so uh, that's infancy, childhood, uh, adulthood, manhood, adolescence. Uh, his entire life was, uh, was redone. Um, he redid what Adam failed to do. And, and so because of that then, because he was able to redo and obey the law perfectly, then salvation is made possible uh, by virtue of Jesus' perfect life. Now, now this has very early roots, uh, mainly in Eastern Orthodox thinking and in church followers like Irenaeus. But, but consider this for a second. Well, well, is there merit and truth to that belief? Well, absolutely. Uh, we, we see that uh, that Christ was the second Adam. Uh, just like Adam, um, God was Adam's biological father. Uh, Christ, uh, Christ's biological father was Adam. And just as Adam disobeyed God's will in the garden, uh, Jesus, on the other hand, uh, submitted to the will of the Father in the garden. Adam fell by eating the fruit of a tree, uh, but Jesus gained victory by hanging on the wood of a tree. That's the parallel that's 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 drawn up there. Well, the strengths of this view, there are many strengths. Of course, the scriptures teach of this view, um, but, but not only of this view. The Bible teaches that Christ is the second Adam who reversed the curse that the, the old Adam brought. Um, we've been studying this in the book of Romans on Monday nights. In Romans 5, it says, Therefore, just as uh, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men nevertheless death reigned from adam until moses to all those who had not yet sinned in the offense of adam who was the type of him who was to come that's pointing to jesus later on in romans 19 it says for just as through one man's disobedience many were made sinners so even just through the obedience of the one many are made righteous Throughout the New Testament writings, Paul uh, writes in 1 Corinthians, for example, um, he says, So it is written, the first man, Adam, uh, became a living soul, and the last, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit, referring to Jesus. And, and so the strengths of this theory are, well, it's taught throughout Scripture. There's truth to that. The problem with that when it comes to atonement is that if Christ simply came to recapitulate life, to, to live life with perfect obedience in all stages of uh, life, of childhood, infancy, adolescence, manhood, if, if, if that's the case, then the cross becomes irrelevant. If it's just about living a perfect life, uh, then Christ would have could have died a natural death in old age and still made atonement. And of course, we know that's not the case and so there must while there is some merit to this ransom or to this uh, recapitulation theory we know that it is not sufficient in and of itself a, a second theory is the ransom to satan theory and this one um, again is a very early um, uh, uh, very early uh, uh, origin again eastern orthodox thinking um and the belief here with the ransom to Satan theory is that by virtue of Adam's sin, all humanity was sold into bondage to, to Satan. 
who had now, uh, in, in legal terms, he had legal rights to them and us. And so then Christ, by his death, made a payment to Satan, buying back mankind and making salvation possible. This, again, is very early origin. The Church Father origin um, uh, believes it's, very, it's a very Eastern Orthodox uh, um, thinking uh, ransom theory is today. And basically the idea is Christ's death on the cross became an exchange for humanity. It's backed up in scripture in some areas. Um, John chapter 8, uh, verse 44 reads, You people are from your father the devil, and you do what your father desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not uphold the truth because there's no truth in him. Whatever he lies, he speaks according to his own nature because he is a liar and the, the father of lies. He says, You people are owned by Satan there. Um, uh, uh, 1 John 3 uh, says, The one who practices sin is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of Man was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. Everyone who has been fathered by God does not practice sin. Uh, We see time and time again, um, Mark 10, 45 is probably the most prominent passage uh, for the ransom theory. It's when Jesus says the Son of Man didn't come to, to be served, but instead to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, who does that ransom go to? That's the question. Now, the, the difficulties with this view, uh, this, I guess the strengths are um, people are said to be um, Satan's possession, and then there's a ransom paid. But there are some Uh, weaknesses to this view for starters the bible clearly shows that god is the offended party to whom the ransom is paid and not to satan god needs to be satisfied and not satan in other words it it minimizes this type of a theory minimizes the role of forgiveness by teaching that god doesn't need to forgive but instead god needs to rescue and, and why? It's because it, uh, another weakness is that it upholds this idea of a cosmic dualism um, that that undermines the power of God. It, it, is, it puts God under the authority or under obligation to Satan, which we know is not the case. But there are some merit to this this teaching specifically that uh, 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 Christ became a ransom, not paid to to Satan, but instead paid to to the Lord. And that brings us to the last one we'll talk about today, which is uh, the theory of uh, of the substitution uh, substitutionary atonement, um, vicarious substitution, if you will. And this is a prominent view today that's held by most scholars. And this belief says the atonement is made on the cross when Christ vicariously bore the exact penalty of his people, that's you and me, and thereby he took the wrath of God upon himself, therefore satisfying God's righteousness. 
this was a view that's held by Martin Luther and Calvin and, and uh, Reformed Protestants around the world. And here's how it breaks down. It says that God is righteous and because of sin cannot be in the place of sinfulness or cannot be associated with sinfulness because God is holy. Well, mankind is sinful. And so what Christ did was Christ lived as a righteous man and a holy God in the flesh. And he took the 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 offense of sinfulness upon himself, the, the punishment for sin upon himself. He became the substitute. And so his punishment is placed, the punishment that I deserve is placed upon him. And, and he now transfers righteousness to me. To, to think about it like this, we received Adam's sin. Adam's sin was transferred over to mankind, and now man's sin is transferred over to Christ. And so through this, the, the reason, as opposed to, for example, the ransom to Satan theory, um, the reason for it is, in the ransom to Satan theory is, is there's a, a cosmic war going on and, and Satan must be paid off. But in penal substitution, what we teach and believe here at the church, uh, there's divine judgment. God is the offended party um, who, who, who needs to be satisfied. The, the, the price is paid to God and not to Satan. And so in the penal substitution picture, we see the perfect picture of, of grace and forgiveness because God forgives. Well, there's a lot more that could be said, but think about it in this way, and I'm almost done. But think about it in this way. Uh, the, the Bible says that all our people are guilty of offending a righteous God. And so um, imagine, for example, uh, you're in a courtroom and and there is a judge sitting on the bench. The judge must punish the offender. In order for the judge to be an impartial judge and a good judge, he must uphold the law. Well, why can't, you know, the, the objection to this type of thinking is, well, why can't the judge or God just forgive my sin out of love? Here's the thing. God can't just forgive sin. Imagine you're in the courtroom and you're watching the proceedings in a courtroom where a man is accused of robbery. The evidence is clearly convincing. Uh, there are witnesses who saw the defendant commit the crime. Uh, there are videotapes of the crime that show the defendant in the act of the robbery. And, and finally, the defendant confesses himself. Now, what if the judge were to say to the defendant, yeah, even though you did this, I'm going to set you free with no penalty. I forgive you. Would that judge be considered righteous? Well, certainly not. If he is righteous and just, he must punish the crime. And the same is true with God. Well, what if the defendant said he was sorry? Well, that wouldn't change much. While it's good that the man would be sorry for what he did and promise to never do it again, the judge must still punish the crime if he's to remain a righteous judge. It might be kind for the judge to let the man go free, but it would be unjust. It wouldn't be right. It would be unjust. 
And so we're like the, that defendant. We've committed sin before God. And while we might be sorry and we might be repentant, God cannot deny his, his righteousness any more than he can cease to be God. And so the judge sentences criminals to jail. They're, so God must also sentence sinners to hell. So here's the dilemma. The Bible says that God's righteous and must punish sinners. But the Bible also says that God loves people not wanting anyone to go to hell. Our dilemma is that our sin must be punished and good works can't save us. Regardless of how good we try to be, we can't be saved in our own. Therefore, the only solution is that God offers his son to be our substitute. Christ took the penalty himself. As Isaiah 53 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, but the Lord has cursed the iniquity of all of us to fall upon him. The cross was the only way for God to remain righteous and yet also forgive our sins. It was a perfect demonstration of God's love and justice. Christ bore on himself the punishment that you and I deserve. I know I spent extra time today talking about this situation, but I think it's so important for us as we prepare for Easter to really chew on what was accomplished on that cross. Christ took God's punishment for sin upon himself. It wasn't just the fact that he had died that offers forgiveness, but that on that cross, the wrath of God, the punishment for sin was placed upon Jesus. And in that way, righteousness is restored. Forgiveness is available. But here's the thing, listener, just because Christ died on our behalf does not mean that this automatically applies to us. The truth is there must be a correct response to Jesus for salvation, therefore to receive God's offer. Well, we'll talk more about that this week. I want to say thank you for bearing with me today as we walk through this very important, important passage. You know, the death of the cross is significant. The resurrection of Jesus is even more significant. And these events must be focused on in our minds and our developed theology as we think through not only God, but also our relationship with God. So thank you for bearing with me today. Uh, Join me again tomorrow as we continue to walk through John's gospel. God bless. Take care. And thanks for listening to the Leesburg Daily.